Welcome to a new episode of the DOS Game Club podcast. I'm uh, Martijn, Tijn on the forums, and we have been playing Master of Orion 2 in... Um, what month have we actually played it in, Florian? In November? Uh, yes, it was November. Yeah. So, yeah, Master of Orion 2 was our November game. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to talk about this game alone at all. Uh, with me, you heard him, is our trusty co-host, Florian. Hey, guys. Hey. So, yeah. Looking forward to this episode, I suppose. I am. Well, yeah, should be. Uh, it's your favorite game, right? It's one of my favorite games. I don't know if it's my favorite game, but certainly top five. So, yeah, very close to yeah, favorite game. Exactly. Um, and also joining us is uh, returning from the Monkey Island episode. It's Josef. Hello, guys. Hey. I'm very glad to be back. Yeah, cool. Cool to have you back, man. Yeah, great. Uh, and also, newly joining, that's always great to have new members on, it's Inze. That's me. Hey, man. Hello. Hey, super cool to have new people on. Uh, for some reason, we keep finding new people, uh, Florian. So isn't that cool? Yeah, well, but that Inze has been around uh, in the club forever. That's true. On, on, on and off, yeah. yeah it's, I, I remember getting an invite, like, I guess it's over a year ago now. And I've just been lurking around the IRC for, for quite a while. But, but this is actually the first time that I felt like, hey, I can I can join the podcast. Yeah. This, this is a game I, I really enjoyed. So super cool. Yeah, super cool. So um, yeah, Master of Ryan two. Let's uh, let's dive in. Let's let's do it. Let's. Just, 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 just
Florian. Yes. I think, yeah, I think we should start with you, right? right? Because, uh, well, you're the one who suggested that we play this game. Yeah, I did. Because, um, as you already mentioned, this is one of my favorite games. Exactly. Um, I, I played it since it came out. I played it first on a friend's computer, and he was basically, he, he wanted to cheat all the time. So I wanted to play a normal hot seat <laughs> game against him, but he said, no, we have to play one player against the AI, and we need to use the knowledge cheats and the money cheats, and then we have to <laughs> blast the AI out of the universe. Well, that's fun. Uh, it was for a while, but I preferred the actual game. Right, yeah, but but when you played it like that, uh, you were probably kids, right? Yeah, we were like uh, six or seventh grade, something like that. And yeah, I, I'm not sure we understood a lot about what was going on. Exactly. Uh, and did you did you play it in in English or in German? I don't actually recall. Um, I have seen the German version, but I played the English version for so long that I'm not entirely sure which mm. one I played as a kid. Right. So yeah, you've played it on on every system since you said. Yeah, basically. Um, I mean, now I have more computers than I actually use, but uh, on every <laughs> computer that I bought for myself or for regular use, I think I played on every single one of those. And I think there was not a single year that I didn't play the game at least a few times. Right, because the game came out in 96, I believe, right? So it's... it's, um, it's yes, that's true. Yeah, it's quite late for a DOS game, really. It's not the latest DOS game we've played so far, I think. No. No, but still, but, it's... But yeah, but it, it came out together with the um, Windows 95 version, mm. which are, yeah, it's the same game. Right, so you could run it on, on Windows as well as on DOS. Correct. Though nowadays, yeah. um, the DOS version is usually the uh, recommended one because the Windows version has a few compatibility issues and it doesn't always work right. And when you try it, you will probably see the palette being all wrong and crazy colors. So mm. just use a DOS version in DOSBox. That works fine. Right, right. Okay, that's cool. Um, Josef, have you also played it before? Yeah, I played. Uh, I remember playing this game quite a lot. Uh, I, I know I got it from a disc uh, that came with a, a magazine, so it was already quite uh, some time after it was released. Uh, but uh, once I got it, uh, I, I spent uh, a lot of time uh, playing the game. Uh, I was really bad at it. <laughs> uh, I think the Today with the club, it was actually the first time I, I managed to uh, play the game as it was intended, because mm. before I just uh, did weird things. But I, I spent a lot of time with it. And the version that came with a magazine, was that a full version of the game? Yes. Uh, at some point, uh, the magazines uh, started to uh, give out free games, full versions of games uh, wow. with with the, with the magazine. And I, I actually played a lot of of course, it was always older games, but right. uh, not that old. So, oh, that's pretty cool. And I still have it. Huh. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh. For me, it's actually the same that that I I've played it before, but but never really properly. Like I just I was just clicking around really, and I didn't really know how anything worked. So, yeah, I was I was playing it, and then you know, in this game, you can build a little empire for yourself, and things seem to go all right. But then once you meet uh, an alien for the first time and they're way more advanced than you, then it's like, oh, then it's game over, really. Uh, so I never really got beyond that point until last month when we played it and I, I really got into it for the first time. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. I think you played uh, it so much that the editing of the last episode of Dos Game Club was delayed a bit, wasn't it? <laughs> a bit. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm I'm really into this this type of game. So 
yeah, once I understood how it works, then then it's really cool. So uh, yeah, I can see I can see the appeal definitely. Now, Inter, I don't think you've played it before, though, have you? I, I have never played this game before. I mean, it it rings a bell. Hmm. Like the first time I, I saw it when when it was announced that we were going to play this game in the in the club setting, um, I, I looked up some images and and just the the static image of. Uh, all the buttons and having like a star field, like the the, the gameplay field, um, that rings a bell. Mm. So I must have seen it somewhere. But this, this these sort of games are a little bit before my my time. I'm kind of dating myself here. I'm I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm not really. I didn't really grow up with these DOS games. Mm-hmm. But it is a game that that um, I don't know. It spoke to me in a way because I, I did grow up with things like Civilization, and it's wow. rather similar to that. Yeah. So um, yeah, I never played it before, but but now um, I, I I'm feeling like this is going to become one of these games that I'm I'm going to replay a, a lots lots of times, like like many years into into the future. I'm going to you know boot yeah. this game up again because it it does have something about it that is I don't know it it, it is quite unique in my mind, but yeah. that might also be because I have not played many of these kinds of four X games. Yeah, so. yeah, right. Yeah, but it is it is a cool game uh, just to have running. I feel yeah, like like on a I don't know on a lazy Sunday you can just start the game, and it doesn't it doesn't take over you completely. Like you can just start the game and do a few turns, and then you can just you know walk out yeah. and do something, and then come back do a few more turns. So uh, no, no, you can't. Uh, uh, oh, really? Once you start playing, you will just <laughs> continue playing until it's five o'clock in yeah, the morning. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It definitely has that one more turn uh, feel to it as well. Yeah. It's it's one of those games. Uh, it's basically civilization in space, right? That's really sort of exactly. But I see what you mean. With but another thing I've noticed is that the game is really slow in the beginning, but it speeds hmm. up very very quickly. Hmm. But still, at any point, if you're playing single player, you can just pause, take yeah. your time, and just basically make the game feel slow, even though it isn't. It's it's really weird how you can basically play with the speed of the game yourself. Hmm. So. Because it's all turn-based. It's all turn-based, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Now... I think it's I think it's good if we uh describe a little bit uh for for people who are listening and maybe are not too familiar with with the exact ins and outs of this game. Uh so just uh, to give a little global overview of what this game is about. Um and Insa already mentioned uh 4X is uh is the name of the genre that's sometimes given. It's a bit of a weird genre name though, isn't it? 4X yeah, it's it's a bit weird, but um, basically it's a turn-based strategy game. Mm. You start, um, you you design your your own empire. You design the race, what what traits it has, and then you start exploring the universe. And while you do that, you expand your um, your empire. Mm-hmm. You start exploiting the resources of the galaxy, and then you at one point you start exterminating your other players or AIs, and that is the 4X. Right. Explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. Exactly. And that's that's basically the game. And in the in doing so, you research stuff, you build stuff on your planets, you colonize planets, you fight awesome battles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. It's um I read that this term 4X um it was actually coined for Master of Orion. 
Oh, really? Yeah, not not this game, uh, because we've played the, first the sequel. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the first Master of Orion that came out in 1993. Um, I read that uh, a certain Alan Emrick, uh, who was, I think he was part game designer, but he was also a game journalist. So he worked for uh, Computer Gaming World, which is this big magazine at the time. And um, I think he got a preview version of the first Master of Orion. Although I've also I've also read that he was involved with the development of it. So I'm not entirely sure what his relation to the game is. But anyway, he, he wrote uh, an article for the magazine with a preview of the game. And uh, that's where he first mentioned the 4X term for the to describe this this type of game yeah and then the term stuck and now all these uh, turn-based empire games called 4x games uh, like civilization that was mentioned and i don't know other games as well i suppose are, are these games still being made well there was of course sequels to master of orion and and there were uh, yeah i guess so yeah I mean, all of the civilizations mm-hmm. yeah the, the closest thing that i can that that springs to my mind in terms of recent games is uh, Stellaris by Paradox. Yeah, I think Paradox is a great example of a modern studio that, uh, because their their other games are also sort yeah. of turn based C strategy four X C right, like uh, Europa Universalis yep. and uh, what's the other one with the knights? Uh, I forget, and this is really bad because this is one of the studios I I once sent a job application to. Oh wow! It didn't work. It didn't work. Uh, Got very close, but didn't work. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. Uh, Crus- Crusader Kings. I think. Yep. I think that's the one I meant. So, yeah, those are modern evolutions of. Uh, but this is actually the the beginning of yep. this genre. Yeah, is that is that a description for people <laughs> to understand this game? <laughs> Well, I think we will go into more detail as we discuss it. Mm. But as a first starting point, I think that's valid. Yeah, exactly. So so if you would go into the more detail, uh, what would you say the game is about then, Florian? Um, well, it's about many things. I can't even say which one is the most important. Hmm. In the end, um, I mean, the exterminate part, you can leave that out completely if you want. Right. But the other three X's, they are very important for the game. Hmm. So I, I think the the combat part is maybe the least interesting one um, in terms of, of how important it is for the game. Really? Because there are ways to win the game without exterminating anyone. Hmm. Okay. But despite that, the, the, the combat in this game, I think it's more interesting, though, than what yeah. is maybe typical of these. Uh, like if you, if you compare it to Civilization, for example. Yeah. In Civilization, the combat is really just... Uh, a roll of a dice, sort of, right? You, right. Uh, you move My, your mean, unit onto another one, and then, then that's it. There's an outcome. That's that's at least a bit similar in Master of Orion, um, because when you are in combat, you actually have a r- random number generator behind the scenes that says or that, that decides if your shots actually hit or miss. Mm. Though you can can influence that with various technology, and you can use some um, strategies that. Or basically, or tactics, I don't know the difference, um, <laughs> that avoid that problem right. to some degree. You can you can employ tactics that make it easier for you to win the battle, even if you are maybe technologically well behind your foe. Right, right. 
Yeah, the battles are... Um, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Heroes of Might and Magic, actually. Right. Which is another game that we've played, which also borders on the 4X genre, I would say. But yeah, for Heroes of Might and Magic has this, this grid on which uh, units move in a turn-based way. That's not dissimilar to, uh, to Master of Orion. No, that's, that's, that's quite similar, actually, yes. Yeah. Though what, what you can do in the grid and with your units, that's, I think there is a lot more you can do in Master of Orion. Hmm. It, it took a while for you to realize that that part of the game is actually fun, I think. And I'm not sure you actually liked it in the end, because there are two ways you can play the game. You can either actually fight out the battles, or you can let the computer decide who won, and you will get, just get statistics in the end and lose ships accordingly. Yeah, just like Civilization, for example. Right. And yeah. also the game offers the automatic battles, which is hmm. kind of uh, during the tactical combat. So you see the units move and everything, but you can just tell the computer, just do the do my moves in my place. And then uh, if you want, you can uh, stop it and intervene to move a bit uh, units. So it can uh, you can actually also have automatic combat while also being able to intervene, which is actually quite useful, I think, in this hmm. game, especially if you have a lot of units. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, you know what my first thought was? It's just a really overwhelming game. There's so many options and there's so many... It's really one of the most richest uh, 4X games I've ever played, I think. Uh, not that I've yeah. played that many. But, uh, well, compared to a lot of other games, especially at the time, this game offers really a, a real wide variety of possible strategies and, and things to do. Right. And things are, are very interconnected in the game. So whatever you do on your with your industry will influence how well you can research, which on the other hand influences how good your weapons are. And depending on your weapons, you can you have more options in combat. And it's, it's really, there are lots of, of circles or cycles in this game where things influence something else and in turn that influences the original thing again. And you have lots of feedback loops, actually. Yeah, and I think that also is what makes the game maybe a little bit harder to get into. Yeah. Because it's not immediately obvious uh, how all these systems are working. Yeah. I've been playing the game for, what, 20 years now, and I still don't <laughs> understand how all the systems are interconnected. So. <laughs> yeah, for, for, for me, it's like just starting out playing the game for the first time. I guess I'm kind of lucky and unlucky at the same time that the first game I played uh, of, of Master of Orion was the multiplayer game on on IRC <laughs> because on the one hand if I if I picked a, a single player game on my own I would have probably liked the game a bit less because there's just too many buttons and too many things happening at the same time and yeah. you know you you I'm I'm kind of used to games um, basically easing you into it kind of maybe showing you the ropes and saying you know you don't have to fo you know uh, worry about getting attacked just yet just focus on these few yeah. things there's none of that <laughs> no, yeah it has it has like basically none of that i'm not sure if there's like a tutorial buried somewhere in there no, but i haven't been able to like find it. no there's nothing no there's nothing i suppose yeah. they they assume that you have read the manual beforehand mm, because apparently yeah. i haven't seen the manual but from what i've read it's uh, it's quite complete and there was also a, a book that came out uh, that you could buy, uh, which was uh, the official strategy guide. So I suppose they assume that you have read that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a bit the old school way, really. See, I was I was very lucky that that you know I got into a game multiplayer game with with people who actually knew what they were doing, and they could you know mm. Florian could could 
explain how things worked. Yeah. Uh, and and even though even then the game is a bit confusing. So the trick I use is basically um the 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 first stages of the game where you're just you know managing the simple things you can kind of compare it to a civilization game and then for all of the other things that the game does i kind of treated that as a bit of a bit of a puzzle game where it's rewarding <laughs> when you figure something out you know yeah. when it's rewarding that uh, i guess we'll we'll go into this later with all the research and stuff like that uh that it's rewarding that you can see the effects that your research is doing Hmm. And how your your buildings and colonies are affecting one another and everything like that. When you see it all connect like that, that's that's a really cool thing in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the best parts of the game. And as I said, even now, twenty years um, later, I'm still discovering some things how they are working together and trying to find out how to optimize one thing using another thing. And that's that's just <laughs> super interesting to me. Yeah. The game does sort of help you a little bit. I was just thinking that you can right-click anything, right? <laughs> yes, there was a funny story, though, right? Well, what's I don't know. What's the story? Um, so in the game, usually right-click means show me help um, about that element yeah. that, that I'm right-clicking. And then yeah. you were in battle and mm. you tried to, to move your ship and you were asking me, hey, how can I turn my ship? Oh, and yeah. I said, yeah, you have to right-click in the direction that you want to move your ship. And you were like, what? Suddenly right-click <laughs> is not help anymore, but turn? Yeah, that's... I mean, the, the, I, that's, that's one of the first things I learned about this game uh, last month, that the user interface, as much as I like it, may not be very big enough friendly. No, and, you know, DOS game uh, usability is, is generally not uh, the best anyway. Or, well, you know, it's just... It's not even bad. It's just there weren't as many lessons learned, I think. There weren't as many games made. And, yeah. you know, I think every game, it takes the lessons learned from previous games into it. Uh, so if you go back in time, then, right, yeah, things are just... The, yeah. We're still learning about user experience and what good user yeah. interface design is. So yeah. Exactly. You can, you can, but you can see the progress um, that we made since 1996. Definitely. Yeah. If you want another one of those examples, uh, just a few uh, weeks ago when I was playing it again, um, I finally realized that when you're on uh, the research screen, uh, you have all these cat categories, mm -hmm. and then you see three items per category. More or less, yes. Up until that point, I was, yeah, or two or three or something. Um, up until that point, I was thinking like, oh, I'm just going to research all these three. But then I realized if I if I mouse over them, They change, they, 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 you can highlight them. Yeah. So you're only getting one of these two or three parts in, yeah. in, the, in the element, That depends right? though, right? Yeah, it's like, there's no, no, there's no like a little uh, uh, tutorial window popping up the first time you come into that screen saying, nope. hey, here you choose your next research. Be careful, only one <laughs> of the items that you select will get researched, you know? Yo, <laughs> so, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's actually a bit more complicated than that. So, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe we can begin with um, how you start the game. You start the game, you, you pick the, um, the size of the, of the galaxy that you want to play in, and you, want, you pick what kind of planets there are. And once you've done that, you start designing your own race, if you choose to do that. And to do that, you pick several options that influence how your race will play in the game. And two of those options actually influence how you research stuff. So by default, if you pick none of those two options, that then exactly what you just said happens. You 
research exactly the thing that you click in the um, tech tree and you get that after a while. But that also means, Florian, that you do not research the other options. Exactly. You don't, and there's no chance to research the other one too. That's true. Because they're just gone after that. Right. I mean, that, that was, that's, that's, that's another thing in the game. There's um, where I think a lot of depth comes into play. There are other ways to get those technologies later on, mm. but you cannot uh, obtain them by, by your own research efforts anymore yeah but when i realized that i started spending way more time on the research screen anytime i needed to pick a new thing yeah. because before that i was just thinking whoa shields and lasers heck yeah click <laughs> you know and now um, i'm now i'm carefully picking what do i need right now <laughs> exactly yeah. um but uh, what i was going to say when you design your race you can also make your race um, what is called a creative race which is um, i think the most uh, expensive option to pick Hmm. then you will always research all the options that are available in one slot. Right. And there's the opposite of that. There is uncreative, which means you cannot even pick which one you will research. It will select a random one for you. What? Yes. I, I've never pl oh. tried playing with that because I think it's insane. And <laughs> the um, the it, it, my, this, this option has negative points assigned to it. So when you do that, you can pick other options uh, that would otherwise be unavailable. Uh, but I've never dared to try it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, how does that work, though? How did they imagine that? Like, essentially, you turn science into a game show where they're competing with technologies and one of them will win and the other will lose? It's like <laughs> Exactly, yeah. But, um, well, well, it, I think maybe if, if either if you're up for a challenge or if you know what to do in the game really well, better than I do, then you can use that to, you, to, to boost your other, or your race's other properties. So maybe you can buy... Um, better population growth, for example, which means more people and more people means more power and it, it can work, I guess. So, but I've never tried it. Hmm. <laughs> but by this, you mean the point system that you get when you're exactly. building things. Yeah, that, exactly. that screen reminded me of a, um, like an RPG's um, character sheet. Hmm. You have a certain, yeah, very close. yeah, you have a certain number of points you can assign to various different areas. But if you, if you want to go, um, uh, like, you want to really double down on science, then you're going to lose some points in some other areas and stuff. It was, it was kind of neatly designed. Right. But again, yeah. I was very confused for about two or three minutes before I realized what all the gradients and colors meant when you, when you yeah. pick yeah, something and, and stuff. What, what I didn't realize before that uh, Martin made me aware of is how bad the user experience in this screen is. Because the same elements may have different meanings and... So some of those 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 points that you select in on screen they all have the same shape. It's just a green uh, bullet point and the name of the option that you pick, and they all look the same. But some of them are like like checkboxes where you can enable and disable them, and others are um, mutually exclusive ones. Um, and in in one section there you always have to pick one, but you so you cannot disable the one that you have, and it's it's a mess. But I never realized that in the last yeah, I, years. I, <laughs> and it's, I, it, yeah, it's also huge. I mean, it's the whole screen is filled. How many options are there for race design? It must be oh. dozens. So Maybe around 40 or yeah. 50. And also, like you said, it's only differentiated by different shades of green. So it's green <laughs> and then maybe paler green, bright green. Too. Yeah. But there's just 40 words thrown at you and you have no idea what any of them mean. But you can write just click says, them. So. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can. <laughs> yeah, but you don't know that you can at that stage. No, it never says so. 
That's true. So yeah. Oh well, it's it's in the menu. But, uh, let, let just uh, important thing to say is that when you're starting the game, you also have uh, uh, about uh, eight different races from which you can pick, and they are all um, uh, already pre uh, pre balanced right. and uh, are already actually quite good. So the mm. custom race is an advanced option, which you That's probably true. shouldn't That's start. Yeah, but it's with. also a super fun option. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's, it's not eight; it's it's thirteen pre made races. Actually. Thirteen, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, are they really that good? Because uh, I have the feeling that if you know how the options work, you can quite easily design a race that's much more powerful than any of the built-in ones. Yeah. So um, I think they they mostly designed those races based on what sounded cool and um, <laughs> suited the description of the race. Yeah. For example, um, let's take the Cylons, which is my favorite race. They are entirely focused on... Um, research and so they they are very weak and they don't have very strong ships but mm. they produce a lot of research so you can overcome those problems over time right. and there are others they're the no lamps they are basically ferengi um <laughs> and those 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 races are all designed like that so the, the yeah. no lamps they have advanced money technology and they make more money per population and so they, they're all designed around one theme each yeah. Yeah. but it's it's often good to specialize and also if you are playing single player game then you will be playing against those races the, the computer will not make some custom mm. mix uh, exactly to fight against you so yeah but i think if you if you up the difficulty yeah. it will be quite a challenge to i mean even if you design a race that's superior to the the standard ones that the computer plays with i feel that on the on the highest difficulty it's it's really i i don't know if the computer cheats or not but it feels like they do because no i don't i don't think they do well um this just you meet them and they already have like 10 colonies you're like what how how yeah but th those are those are races that are specialized in fast expansion Mm. So they just reproduce um, quickly and they have maybe better industry and maybe your race is more geared towards research than, yeah. of course, they will have a bigger um, empire once you meet them. Yeah. So and actually there, there are cheat codes where you can observe hmm. um, what's going on in the galaxy. So I think you could find out if the AI is cheating, but I don't think it mm. is. Or, or you can spend three points in the character design and take the... Uh, the omniscient perk that exactly. will give you all of the positions of everybody. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Um, I was just going to say that it is like a like an RPG stat screen, although it's not. It it doesn't just have the basic options. It also has some quite weird specialized options, right? Yes, and they're uh, they're super cool. I think some of yeah. them, yeah, um, because they are super varied actually. So um, some of them just influence the the home world um, where you are. Others influence. Um, where on a planet your race can live. For example, if they can live underground or in oceans. Yeah, um, and if, if they need food. Yeah, others will... Uh, there's one option that is called a litovore that allows your race to actually eat rocks instead of food. So that lifts the burden of producing food for your empire for, uh, from your race. And that mm -hmm. can be quite the advantage, but it's also a super expensive option. Yeah, and there's also a, a mind control one, I think, yeah. that, that allows you to just take over alien uh, opponents without having to fight them? Yeah, right. Um, when, when you are fighting a battle against your opponent and you try to invade their their the planet that you just uh, won victory over, then you have several options. And if you are a 
telepathic uh, race, then you can just mind control the people and they will obey you. <laughs> well, it's really cool. It's really cool that it's so, um, well, not just advanced, but there's just a loads of variety and, and options. Yeah, it's, it's very versatile, I think. Yeah. And I think that also enables a lot of replayability. Right. Uh, because, yeah, you can you can just completely turn the game upside down yeah. if you pick a different race. So yeah. uh, that's really cool. <laughs> Um, Josef, I think you uh, tried winning multiple matches with Cybernetic Telepathic, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I, I tried uh, a lot of that, but uh, finally I had to ditch the Cybernetic work uh, to get some, uh, to get basically creative. Mm. But uh, we maybe talk about the, our race design uh, now, if you want. Yeah, sure. Uh, I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, my uh, my final design, let's say, of the perfect race was a telepathic creative warlord, <laughs> uh, so which gives you the capacity to research uh, all of the technologies, which is very very powerful. Uh, and for the same price that others get only one technology. Yeah. That's the most important yeah, thing. Uh, you don't pay more mm -hmm. for it. And especially since some technologies are activated immediately. For example, if you invent new drives. You get them uh, on all of your ship instantly. This this means that you can then uh, research weapon technologies and get a lot of uh, stuff uh, for free. Uh, the telepathic uh, it gives you the uh, the ability, like we said, to mind control um, uh, the uh, the enemy colonies and also bases, and uh, it will also give you some bonuses for spies. And uh, so it's uh, better spice and uh, one more thing, which I don't remember. Mm. And the warlord is uh, what enables you to have more ships more quickly, because uh, one of the resources in the game is control, uh, which basically means that if you don't have enough star bases, then uh, if you produce too many ships, you will have to pay for them a lot of money. And warlord uh, maybe doubles or triples the points you actually get from all of your uh, planets, right? Uh, which means that you can just... Uh, this strategy of this uh, race is you grab a planet, mind control it, then build more ships, and then go to the next uh, to the next race. It's <laughs> very fast, very, very deadly. That's cool. I, I actually looked up... Um, there's there's lots of uh, web pages on, on strategy stuff for Master of Orion. So I found this, this strategy guide, which lists a whole bunch of possible custom races different designs and different stuff. And it seems that one of the, um, the, the, the general, yeah, just overall good ones is called U UNITOL, I think, mm -hmm. uh, which stands for tolerant. And I don't know what UNI means. Unification. It's the form of government. Ah, so right. it's, it's uh, basically imagine the Borg, <laughs> where all, all minds are, are one and... yeah. All act as one entity, basically. Exactly, and tolerant in this in this sense means that it doesn't mean that they uh, don't mind other people or something. It means they can they can live anywhere, basically, right? They're very tolerant of the environment, and most most importantly, they are tolerant of all the waste that they produce. So, ah, yes, waste exactly. waste is a big factor that that reduces the um, amount of industry that you can actually have, and. Tolerant races ignore waste completely. So while other races maybe lose 60 or 70% of their production to waste, tolerant races don't. <laughs> so they, from the start, they have 100% of their industry is going towards production. And that's, right. that's huge. That's very yes. powerful. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is also what you meant before with all the interconnected systems. I mean, a lot of games have some kind of production resource value. But in this game, it's more complicated because if you have more... It, 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 it's, it's first of all, if you place more workers, then each one will produce less. Uh, so there's diminishing results for each worker added. And then on top of that, there's the waste, which sometimes, yeah, it, it, it completely nullifies the, the additional work that's put in because of all the pollution. So this is much more complicated than most games. Right. But there's even more factors <laughs> playing <laughs> into this. If, now that we're talking about production, not only um, the amount of, of waste and how many workers you have, also the ki kinds of technologies that you have, either empire-wide or on your colony influence, how much production each of your workers produces, and um, the morale of your people on this specific colony is important. The um, amount of gravity on this planet, the amount of, of minerals on the planet, there are so many things playing into how much you can produce on the planet. Yeah, And most of those things you can actually influence by getting certain technologies or building certain things. And it's, it's just lots and lots of things that play into this. Yeah. Uh, for example, the gravity that you mentioned, you can research uh, a gravity generator. Yeah. And if you build one of those, then the, the lack or, or abundance of gravity can be, well, modified so that it's, it, it evens out. Exactly. But... But the other side of this coin means that you have to you have to research the gravity generator, which means you might not be researching something else. Exactly. Uh, so that means you maybe you lack. Well, what's in that same category? I don't. I, I don't, don't know, know by heart. <laughs> no, no. But but I mean, it may mean that you have. I don't know. Worse lasers or worse shields or worse shield shields. I think. Yeah. yeah. I was just playing it today. I think shields. Yeah. So that's. That's a, like a double-layered a double layered thing going on. Yeah. And once again, there are um, also race design options that change how your race um, reacts to different gravitational environments. Hmm. So you can, if your home planet is one of very low gravity, that means all normal gravity planets will be like high gravity to your people. Ah. So this is a really major disadvantage, but... Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very it's a very complicated game. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 complex. Yeah, at least <laughs> exactly. There is a thing we have not talked about. Well, there's lots of things we have not talked about, but you can actually design your own ships in this game. Yeah, um, I think that's one of the most fun parts. On top of the whole complex stuff that's going on, anyway, there's also a complete yeah ship editor <laughs> where you can yeah. pick different sizes and then add systems to your ships my, my brain broke the first time i discovered that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's you know i think that's actually what what drew me into the game to begin with um mm. when i saw this, this that i could build my own ships i was like wow this is super cool i have to play this game i want to build my <laughs> ships yeah and uh, you know I, as i said earlier um, i played my first 10 or 20 games or so only with cheats so i had all the technology available and <laughs> it was just a fun session of hey yeah of course i want battle pots and yes of course i want stellar converters and <laughs> it was super fun yeah it's 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 amazingly complex yeah and it, it allows for so many things that you can do hmm I mean, of course, you can you can go for a normal, just very strong ship that has lots of, of firing power. Mm -hmm. But you can also uh, employ different tactics. You can have ships that uh, that are invisible and then deploy um, um, 
assault groups that try to take over enemy ships, or you can have ships that self-destruct kamikaze style near other ships. And mm -hmm. there are just so many options that you can try. And sometimes you can even build ships and use the right tactic to uh, win over a much stronger opponent if you have the better idea how to play. <laughs> exactly. And it's just, I mean, you said, well, you can build a basic strong ship, but it's not even that there's one kind of weapon no. that you can put on the ship. So There are four kinds. Yeah. Or four different categories, actually. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's laser beams, I think, or, or actually beams. Yep, just because, beam weapons, yes. Yeah. Where laser is the weakest. Exactly. But then there's also rockets and bombs and yeah. torpedoes. Torpedoes. Five yeah. categories. Yeah. Uh, there are torpedoes, missiles, beam weapons, bombs, and uh, so-called special weapons. Right. So, <laughs> to be honest, I, I never really understood the uh, difference between missiles and torpedoes. Hmm. But there is actually a big difference. Okay. Because the missiles can be shot down and the torpedoes, you can only avoid them, but you can't destroy ah, them okay. in flight. Ah, that is a big difference. There you have it. Oh, and I think um, electronic countermeasures only work on missiles, right? I think that is now they I, they they do work on torpedoes. Oh, yeah. do they? Ah, well, I never I never use uh, such outdated technology. I only use beams <laughs> and special systems. <laughs> but uh, so the the different uh, weapon system they all have uh, some pros and cons. Well, of course, mm -hmm. for example, the beam weapons most of them are uh, they lose strength depending on the distance, and also they can miss. Mm -hmm. Whereas the missiles, as long as the well, they usually always hit depending on the countermeasures from the enemy but they can be destroyed the torpedoes are like missiles but can't be destroyed but they shoot only once every two turns right and the bombs are only good against planets and then the special weapons where they do various things such as turn turning like spinning enemy ships in random directions or or freezing them in place and, yeah. and so and that's uh, so as if that that wasn't enough you can also modify all of the weapons <laughs> So beam weapons, you can make them uh, what's called heavy mount, which is just uh, twice the firing power. And you can make them point defense, which is uh, better at f shooting at, at smaller targets like missiles or fighters. Um, for missiles, you can make them uh, heavily armored so that they are not so easy to shoot down. And so you can modify almost all of the weapons yeah. again. And so, it, it makes a big difference too. Yes, yeah, so a huge because, difference. Uh, yeah, because like you said, the, 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 the heavy mount beams... It's not just that they're more powerful, but also you cannot you cannot use them to shoot down missiles anymore. Exactly. So that's really well. I found myself in a multiplayer game uh, against you. <laughs> well, and and I thought, well, I have these super powerful heavy mount beams. I'm gonna shoot him down, no problem. <laughs> but but then you deployed lots of small, tiny fighters on me, and I had nothing against them. I had no way of hitting them, or I was just useless so <laughs> in my in my defense i think i told you all of you several times that that was the case right uh yeah but there's so much going on maybe it, yeah exactly maybe it didn't make sense at the point when i told you yeah but because you didn't you didn't have the the, the background for that or yet but i told you mm. don't don't put that on me yeah okay <laughs> I, I ain't cheating <laughs> you, you essentially said that lasers pretty much suck I seem to remember something along those lines. Like lasers are like, yeah. eh, they're not really useful for anything. But uh, I had one battle in in the entire multiplayer 
session. It was a very, very long one. And just after that battle, our game crashed, I remember. <laughs> um, but it was it was kind of funny because one of the, um, uh, what is he called? Veda or, or Veed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh, Josh. Y- yeah, yeah. He was, he was, um, yeah. he was, uh, with this ant race or something like that. He, he was, he was very aggressive and he was, he was, uh, planning to attack everyone. And, uh, eventually he, he found my, himself near my, uh, my, my home base and I didn't have that many colonies yet. So I was very afraid of his larger fleet. And, uh, I asked him over IRC, like, uh, I, I come in peace. Uh, do you want to, you know, let's just settle this. And then he replied with, do you want ants? Because, because that's how you get ants. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. And he was, he was, uh, attacking my home base with a, a fleet that was almost, I think it was like one and a half times as big. He had like four or five big ships with all like torpedoes and stuff. And I just had tiny little lasers and the help of my uh, star base. But eventually I, managed to win because i could actually shoot down his torpedoes which which is something that i realized in the middle of the fight that i could actually shoot like missiles it it made a lot of sense actually like you have a laser shoots instantly and uh, i could eventually win because i could basically make his weapons useless about 80 percent of the time only a few of his shots hit so i actually made the lasers useful but i i think it was only because uh both him and i we're not very technologically uh, advanced at that stage. Yeah. So, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. Uh, and it's also, I mean, the the thing with this game is just, it's it's so much complexity added on top of each other because there's the beam weapons, which you can improve, but having a really powerful beam is not enough, is it? Because then there's also the targeting computer. And if you have a really weak targeting computer then you may have a strong beam but it will miss all the time right so there are some special beams that that never miss though so hmm. there's another thing <laughs> of course there are <laughs> yeah and i read in that upgrade as well is that you have this targeting computer that makes part, uh, some of your weapons i forget which uh like 50 percent more accurate or 75 percent more accurate mm-hmm. but then it had had a little bit like it had an added sentence to it which said, if the target computer is destroyed, yeah, your ships will lose this this um, this extra upgrade. Which is uh, so. Uh, I, I have not seen it in battle yet, but there are things on a ship that can get destroyed while the ship itself is not destroyed yet. Exactly, and yeah. that that's another layer that I have not even experimented with. So uh-huh. this usually happens if you get raided because you can actually send marines from a ship to a ship as long as its shields are already down. And then you can tell them either to try to capture the ship or just to sabotage, like destroy everything you can find. And in this case, you can lose yeah. weapons or engines or or these any special systems. Which is yeah. So also, you know, just so many layers. It's just it keeps on going. And for example, you said that the lasers are useless. Well, this is true because it's the first weapon, but often it's actually not the best thing to use the latest and the most uh, uh, advanced weapon that you have because uh, all of your systems actually get better with the newer technologies that you get. So every time you research uh, some new, uh, uh, let's say, uh, physics uh, field, then all the weapons from the physics field will get uh, smaller by miniaturization and so you can put more of them on your ship. And that's also how you unlock the different 
uh, special uh, modifications like out of fire or continuous beans and so on. Right. That's yeah. interesting. I mean, I, I think that it works like five times per weapon, but yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's super important. Yeah. Once you get the newest weapon, um, as you just said, um, the newest weapon is big and bulky and expensive, and you can maybe fit two of them into your ship, but you can use the, the, the next weaker weapon, but you can put 20 of them into your ship. And then you get twice or three times the firing power, maybe. Ah. And also, you uh, run the risk of your new weapon being exposed to the enemy. That's true, right? yeah. uh, if you If you... If you fight an enemy and you lose, then then maybe they will steal this technology from you. Yeah, I mean that's that's completely random. I think I don't think you can influence how often that that happens. Mm. But I might be wrong there. If you control a ship, if you take uh, take it with your marines and then you scrap it, then you get all of the technologies from the ship. Oh, or maybe only some of them. But that's one way of acquiring tech. Mm. Okay, but anyway, you have to take over the ship first. So you need assault pods or marines um, to actually capture the ship. Yeah. And the same happens when you when you um, capture a colony. There is also a chance that you will get some of the technology that was installed on that colony. Mm -hmm. And those are two of the ways that you can actually get technologies that you um, missed because you had to pick one of the research options. Right, right. Yeah, so it's not even that you're gaining more advanced technology this way. It can also just be old technology that you didn't focus on. Exactly. But that might still be very valuable to you. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Um, have we talked about how you manage the colonies? No, not much. We've talked a little bit about production. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, well, there's, there's, there's people living on the colonies, right? So, so first order of business is to boost the population. Uh, you can actually build houses to do this. And colonies also have a maximum capacity of people that can fit onto the colony. Right. And you can, yeah, you can build various things to either uh, expand the number of people that can fit onto it or make it grow your population faster. But once you have a bunch of people, you can split them up in, in basically three parts, right? Right. So you have the builders uh, and they, they are for production. But there's also farmers and researchers. Exactly. So how does this work? So you have your, your people on your planet. Um, your planet, as you said, has a certain capacity of um, people that can fit on there, mm -hmm. which again depends on dozens of factors and you can <laughs> change that number in-game, actually. Of course. <laughs> during, uh, using technology or some um, empire-wide things that you can research. Um, and then you have to actually, or you have to balance out how much of those, how many of those people you put into farming, how many you put into the industry, and how many you put into research. And however you do that influences how much food you have, how many things you can build, or how much research you generate, which in turn mm -hmm. influences how much technology you can research, which then changes how many people you can have. So <laughs> yeah, uh, feedback loops over feedback loops in this game. Exactly. But for all of those feedback loops, I feel like that screen is the most like user-friendly in, in, yeah. in the whole game. It's like, it, once it's you see it for the one. first time, you're like, oh, okay, so I can drag these people over. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, th that, those, things, oh, those things click really quickly. Yeah. In my opinion. Right. But you know, there, there are also special kinds of people that you can have on your planet, not only your normal people. Yeah, yeah. The leaders, you mean. No, uh, um, no, let's talk about them later. Um, mm -hmm. For one, you can have special farmers, which are native to the planet that you inhabit, which are like the strongest farmer in the uh, in the game. So you cannot have 
um, the same farming output from your normal people than you can have from natives. And you can have androids in all of these fields, which changes, again, several things about um, how things play out in the game. I have not reached that stage yet, but that sounds no, awesome. <laughs> androids are quite quite near the end of the tech tree. So. And then yeah. you can also have different kinds of aliens, right? Right. Uh, right. Because on your own colonies, you just have your own people. But once you take over other people's colonies, then, well, there will be other people living there. And right. you can choose to either exterminate those and send in your own people. Uh, or you can even mix mix and match them, I think. You can you can send over your yep. people, uh, but also keep the, 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 the people of the other race there. So, yeah. Yeah. And then you will have um, mixed properties of those the races that live there. Um, for example, if exactly. if your race doesn't need food, but the race you just conquered needs food, and the planet you conquered doesn't have uh, any farming, then you have a problem. <laughs> because you cannot produce food on your own planets if you don't know how to produce food. So yeah, uh, it's it's complicated. Yeah, but you don't have any food food production technology. So <laughs> yeah, so if you're one of those rock eating peoples, you don't. You basically just want to kill everyone and not bother. Uh, <laughs> having you know food food eating species around well but just if if your government happens to be a democracy then you cannot do that hmm okay how does this work you fight a battle um in orbit around the planet against the owner of the planet and you win the battle mm -hmm. once you have done that you have the option to either bombard the planet or do nothing right or if you happen to have brought some marines with you you can have them invade the planet right which gives you the chance to um, take over the planet with using military means. Mm -hmm. Or, as we mentioned earlier, if your race is telepathic, then you can just mind control the planet and it will automatically belong to you. Exactly. Or uh, maybe you have uh, your ship is equipped with a stellar converter and you can choose to destroy the planet, which basically turns it into an asteroid belt. Oh. So there are, there are many, many options. Right. And then once you've taken it over by military means, you can you have the option to either exterminate the the, the local people or yes. keep them Assimilate around. Assimilate or annihilate. Yeah, are the two options. And and if you keep them around, they can become rebels, right? And yes. actually re recover the planet for the enemy. Yeah. So. And then there are buildings that you can build to um, improve the probability of them uh, switching sides and um, <laughs> the way your your race is designed influences how likely they are so again everything influences everything else yeah that's the theme of this game <laughs> yes now one thing that you can actually well apart from from the the farmers and the builders and the researchers um everything they produce uh well the the food and the research they produce this goes into a big pool, right? So this is for your whole empire to use these. Um, it's, it's not that easy. So <laughs> of course not. <laughs> the, research like everything. the research you generate always goes toward your, uh, your empire-wide yeah. research yeah. efforts. So you pick one tech that you're researching at a point and all the research that you generate on all of your colonies goes towards that goal. Yeah. But farming is a bit more complicated uh, because you also need a way to shovel around um, your mm. corn cups from one planet to another. <laughs> yeah, so you need transport ships. Exactly. Uh, well, uh, freighter fleets. Trans uh, transport oh. ships are what carried marines. Ah, yeah, exactly. This is also something that confused me. 
when I <laughs> yeah freighter me, and yeah military transport maybe the name exactly yeah could have been so, a bit more clear ah well so yeah you need freighter fleets to to uh, move the the food around and once luckily this goes automatically though so as long as you have enough freighters then they will just take care of the food distribution so. That's actually pretty good. They, they cost money, though, to use. So mm, that's something right. you want to keep in mind. But the builders, the production, that's that's all local to the to the colony, right? That is all local, exactly. So you, whenever you build something, you pick the colony where you want to build it. And then you pick um, how many people you want to have them, or how, how many people you want to have build that thing. Mm -hmm. And then all production goes towards that goal. Yeah. And what's really cool is that you can uh, actually have a build queue so you can line different uh, things up that you want to build, and they will build them in turn. I think without it, the game would be unplayable. <laughs> yeah, but uh, some Forex games don't have this. Yeah. In fact, another game by the same developer, uh, Master of Magic, I don't think that game has build queues. So, huh. And Civilization, I'm not sure. I think different versions maybe have different options, but I'm pretty sure the original Civilization doesn't have build queues either. So. Yeah. The, the one I'm familiar with is Civilization 3, and mm. what I remember is basically you pick one after another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's basically in in uh, Master of Orion, it, the same thing happens is when, when a production is done, you get a little pop-up. Mm. But in Master of Orion, it will just say like, hey, the production is complete, and if there's something... If there's something in the queue, then it will say like, hey, uh, the next in queue was this. And then yeah. we'll just start working. Yeah. In Civilization, it's more like uh, the, the thing is complete, choose next production. Exactly. And then you have to go in and decide again, like which colony was, th like which which city was this and mm -hmm. stuff. And what, what do I have in mind for this again? So so in, in terms of that, I, I prefer Master of Orion system there. Yeah. So yeah. it's a really good uh, way to queue up and uh, stuff. Because... Often what I find is when I colonize a, a planet, um, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be like science station or production station or maybe a military outpost. And I'm going to queue up uh, these buildings accordingly. Mm -hmm. And then uh, basically I'm, I'm only going to worry about it when the, when the queue is done, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> or when there's some other problem, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But by, by that time you usually have established what kind of colony it is and then you look at what buildings you have and you know oh yes this is this is this kind of colony yeah well yep. if you had to build one building after the other and pick it each time then you would have to look up the planetary stats to see uh, how good production yeah. you can have there and i think it would be quite the mess without the build queue yeah exactly one one important aspect of production is also um it's based on the fact that the production is never lost. Hmm. So, for example, if you have to build something which costs, let's say, 200 production and you manage to make uh, 400, then you have four, 100 production which is left. And so the next building will be built uh, faster. Yeah. And this is often used because as you, uh, for example, if you research a new building that you would like to have uh, quickly on your planets, uh, then you want to have these production stocked. So usually you are always building something very expensive that you never end up building. Just like real life. <laughs> <laughs> but, which is which is one of the aspects of the game. <laughs> quite, uh, it's very important. And maybe at the beginning, I know, I know that when I was playing this game before, I didn't know this. 
and uh, it's something that really changes the way you can yeah. play this game because it, you can get the new buildings way faster. You know, I, I learned uh, about yeah. that uh, production stockpiling like two or three years ago, and it was a game changer. Um, I, I'm even not even sure if the designers of the game had in mind how much it would change the game. Yeah. So maybe they thought, ah, oh, it's, it's unfair if the player loses um, their, their production. And then the end result is that you can pre-produce some stuff and then once you have research and technology that you wanted to build you just change production and it's there immediately yeah and that's I, i don't know if that was by design or if that's just a happy coincidence of yeah what the designers thought would be fair or unfair. yeah i think it's mainly that they didn't want to waste your your production it can also be really costly if you do i mean switching production uh would would have been really expensive if if it had been thrown away so I think I think they just wanted a way to prevent this, but yeah, I, I'm not sure if they realized that they created this whole new style of playing because of it. Right. Of course, you have to take care that you never actually build the thing that you are not supposed to build. <laughs> it happened in in um, one or two multiplayer games, and I was suddenly I had this huge uh, ship that had nothing useful. Uh, <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> okay. Well, you can always refit it. Well, that's another thing that we didn't mention with the ship design is once you develop uh, new, say, lasers or shields or something, it's not automatically applied to all ships, is it? No. Only a few things that you can research are automatically applied to all your ships. Right. Um, I think uh, Josef said earlier that your drives will automatically be upgraded. And yeah. the only other thing that's also automatically installed on all your ships are fuel cells, which basically say how far from one of your colonies your ships can go. Exactly. And everything else, from weapons to armor and shields, you have to do that manually by designing a new ship and then flying your ship back to a starbase and refitting it. Yeah, so... That's I I don't recall many other games having this. Um there are games of course that allow you to upgrade units to newer types, but yeah, I have the feeling that in in, in a lot of other games it's less less of a hassle or less uh, I don't know. On on the other hand when you're playing a strategic combat game, the one where you um don't get to play combat manually, If you do that, then the computer designs all your ships, and I think you don't have to refit them, and you will always get the newest stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, that's a big difference. There, there are a few games that don't do that. The like um, Empire Earth comes to mind, hmm. where you can have a situation where you have a unit from like the first age, still mm -hmm. in like the robotic age, standing mm -hmm. somewhere on the map. Like, oh, there's a caveman over there. But in in Master of Orion, <laughs> it, it's not so much a yeah. problem because. Usually the, the the amount of ships you have is like the, your fleet size is not very big compared to a lot of um, strategy games. You know the, it grows later on, but but of, like for the most part, your your fleet is relatively in the area of your entire colony and everything. You know um, when I so for the for first ten years or so when I played the game, I always wanted to um, colonize the whole galaxy and build every every building on every colony. And if you do that, uh, you're, you're 
fleets tend to get really huge so that they <laughs> barely fit onto the combat screen anymore. <laughs> I've, I've been there a few times. <laughs> Is it limited in any way, the, the fleet size? No, uh, maybe maybe at one point there will be an integer overflow. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. but the, the tactical map is limited and you have half of it for your fleet to maybe yeah. fill the whole map and you can't even move anymore. But <laughs> but it doesn't matter because by that time you put probably uh, stellar converters on all your ships, which, ha which have infinite uh, range mm. in combat at least. Right, so they don't even have to move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, let's see. We've only been really talking about various aspects of the game, which is, of course, very interesting. Well, that's a, I, th I think that's a big part. I mean, with other games, we've, we've sometimes glossed over this a little bit. But I think this game is really defined by just the complexity and, and all the different aspects of it. So, yeah. so it's interesting to look at them. So I think... Um... The, the complexity is what makes the game interesting in the very long run. Yeah. But I think on the lower difficulty levels in single player, you have good chances get good chances of winning a game even if you're not really sure what you're doing. Hmm. Well, so okay. I, I think I think it doesn't take more than maybe five or six games until you can win on the lower difficulty settings. Hmm. Um, may, maybe maybe you disagree. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You don't sound like you're agreeing with me. Well, I I never managed anything before I knew what I was doing in this game. So, I don't know. Um, there's not really a campaign or anything, is there? Uh, there's, there's some background story going on. Hmm. But um, in the end, it's just an open-ended game where you do the same thing over and over again, and that is just defeat your enemies. Yeah, exactly. It's, I think that's that's a common common theme to all 4X games. Um, yeah. Civilization is... The, the basic playing principle is the same as in Civilization or any other game of that kind. Yeah, definitely. Although the um, the subtitle of this game, Battle at Antares, yeah. that is sort of a unique aspect of this game, right? Yeah, um, because it describes one of the victory conditions, how you can win the game. Right. Maybe we should talk about those three options that you have there. Three? Yes, three. So one option is just to destroy everyone. Yeah, that's the most obvious one. <laughs> exactly. And I think it's also, maybe it's also the most... Uh, the most fulfilling one. <laughs> the so, correct one. <laughs> the, the other two options don't feel quite right to me. Hmm. What are the yeah. other? Um, one option is every every few turns, um, after a while, as long as there are more than two races left, there are uh, votes or elections for the galactic leader, and you can win those. Hmm. And That's like a United Nations kind of yeah, thing for the galaxy. Exactly. Yeah. And... Um, so there are always the two, I think it's by population count, the two biggest empires. Mm -hmm. And then all the races will cast their votes for either of the two. And if one of the two gains a two-thirds majority, then they are proclaimed leader of the galaxy. Mm. And if that's if that's not you, then you are asked, do you accept the ruling or not? And if you don't, then all remaining enemies will, or all remaining players will unite and attack you. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a bit of a lame win, though, I feel. I mean... Yeah, that's that's why usually when when my race uh, <laughs> is up in the elections, I usually vote such that neither race will get the two-thirds majority. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't want to end the game like that. Is there a way to, to make them vote for you? Um, I think in the diplomacy you can ask them to... Hmm. At least they ask you sometimes. I'm not entirely sure if you can ask them to vote for you. Right. 
but uh, of course, if you're friends with them, then it's probably more likely that they will vote for you than for their uh, arch enemy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what's the third option uh, to win the game? The third option is um, if you pick the right uh, game option during startup of the game, and that is if you accepted um, the Antarans to attack you occasionally or to enter the galaxy and attack one player at random, I think. Then you also have the option to research um, a dimensional portal which will lead you to their homeworld. And if you destroy that, then you win the game. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually it's not super hard to do that compared to uh, winning an impossible game uh, against many AI players. But hmm. it's an option. So it's like a special location. Can it be... When when do you unlock that? Actually, I've never I've never tried this myself. Um, I think it's in the last tier of the physics tech tree, and there you can pick mm. the dimensional portal and you build right. it. You build that on one of your colonies, then you move all your ships there, and then you say attack Antares. Right. Okay. And then you attack Antares, huh. and then you either win or you lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And speaking of special locations. Um, there's also, of course, the Orion system. The legendary Orion system. That's not a victory condition. No, it's not a victory condition. But, it's, well, it's it's almost a victory condition. Because if you discover Orion early enough and you capture it early enough, then you get such, a, such an advantage that you can often just end the game there because you are uh, unbeatable by that point. Right. Because you, you get a really good planet, but you also get a really good ship, right? You get a really good ship and lots of really good tech. Mm. But uh, in the mid-game, this ship alone can probably win the game for you. Yeah. So um, maybe we should talk a bit about the backstory. There's not much to the backstory. Okay. But um, in the distant past, there were those two ancient races, the Orions and the Antarans. And they were fighting it out uh, against each other. And at one point, the Antarans were locked into this um, other dimension by the, uh, by the Orions. And the Orions then decided to leave the galaxy and just leave their planet behind with all the cool stuff. But they also left an, a robotic guardian in orbit around oh, this, yeah. this planet. And that's the thing that you have to defeat if you want to get the cool ship and the cool technology and the great planet. Right. And it's, that's, that's not easy in the early game, but with some, you don't need a lot of technology to actually win against um, the guardian of Orion. Okay. That's something that occurs in other systems as well, that there's a, a monster guarding this system, right? Yeah. Those monsters are not quite as strong as the Guardian, but mm. usually it means there is a very valuable planet in that system. Yeah. So this is a, a way to, well, to avoid in the early game that, that people get a really good colony and then, well, just run away and... and become unbeatable yeah i never thought about it like that but it's probably just to delay it so that everyone has the chance to discover the planet that's a exactly i, I didn't realize it before i learned something cool well. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's how you win the game um and you mentioned diplomacy quickly yes uh although there's actually there's quite a bit of diplomacy in this game well there can be there, there can be if you happen to pick a race that is capable of diplomacy. Yeah, exactly. Which which actually, it, it sounds silly, but, well, we, we talked about the, the custom race design with the points. And one easy way to get lots of points is by picking the uh, repulsive trait. Yes. And this gives you six points, I believe. Um, I will have to look it up, but I think... Or four, or an, an amount of points. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's six. It's six. six points is quite a lot, actually. 
So then you get to spend this on more useful stuff. Yes, six. But sadly, being a repulsive race means you cannot engage in any diplomacy, can you? Well, you can declare war <laughs> and, <laughs> and you can surrender. <laughs> very diplomatic. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, yeah. if, if you're a repulsive race, then you're very limited in your capabilities of talking to other races. Exactly. Although when the computer players have this trait, they can uh, still ask stuff from... They can threaten war and ask you, like, give me this planet or I will declare war. Oh, yeah, that's, hmm. that's true. You can de demand stuff. And <laughs> you can't do that if you are the human player. Right. There. Uh, the AI cheats. Well, yeah. Confirmed. <laughs> but this trade is actually the best one on the harder difficulties because there is not much to diplomacy anyways. If you are playing on hard or insane, then they, they will always declare wars anyway. So hmm. it's... Uh, the, the, right. the first impression I had of the diplomacy screen, because you, you, the first time it happens, you see like a, a little animation plays and you see like another race basically comes into view and says something to you. Uh, The first time that happened, I was like, hey, cool, I discovered another race. Mm -hmm. And then the second time it happened, it was the same race, but they said something which was almost the polar opposite of what they said at first. <laughs> it was very jarring. Like at first they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's nice that we finally like have a chance to sit and meet and everything. And it's all friendly, you know, and uh, I hope for, you know, a peaceful future. And then the next message is, you know, pray to whatever gods motivate you. I'm coming for your home. <laughs> and I was like, what? Weren't that we was, friends? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That depends. Uh, I mean, with in, in AI games or in uh, single player games, you have certain relationships with each of the races and there's a small um, bar graph that shows you how your um, relation to that race is and it can be friendly or it can be uh, very negative. And depending on that, your chances of getting what you want through diplomacy hmm. change drastically. So what, what are the diplomacy options anyway? What can you do? Uh, there is a lot of stuff, actually, because you can... So there are the, the basic one is treaties. So you can either enter trade or research treaty, which means that you will supposedly earn more money. But if you make a treaty with a race that is too poor, you can actually lose money with it. Oh, okay. So you can uh, make non-aggression pacts or even an alliance. I don't know exactly what Alliance does. I think it's something like non-aggression pact and trade and research altogether. No, um, non-aggression pact means not much, actually. It just means you agree to not attack each other. But once you have an alliance, you can use the other uh, races, um, colonies to move their ships there and it will not start a war or be a blockade against them. Uh -huh. oh, okay. Yeah, I never accepted when somebody wanted to ally with me because like, no, I know. <laughs> that's... I, I, a, that's That's a good idea because um, often when you play in single player and you have two alliances with two races, then at one point they will demand that you declare war on someone else. And very often it's your other allied partner. <laughs> so, <laughs> And then your options are to either lose that one alliance or break the alliance with the other race. And ah. it's typically a bad idea. That's an interesting option. I, I don't seem to remember the, anything like that in my favorite uh, civilization, which I used to compare this game quite heavily. But... Uh... In, in in those games, it's usually when even when you're you're uh, kind of allied with someone, even then when you have military units near their borders, essentially, uh, they will start questioning you, like, "What are mm. you doing over there with all those, you know, military units?" But in this game, uh, apparently, and you know, if you can move through someone else's, you know, entire region of space, that that's actually a pretty cool addition. Hmm. 
Yeah, I can imagine that that is very useful in multiplayer games when you kind of band together to, you know, <laughs> make it difficult for someone else. Interestingly, even if you have an alliance with all the players and everybody's allied, that still doesn't mean the the end. The game is won or ended. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, in in that sense, the game is like the Hunger Games. Like one yes. must win. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> And yeah, and then you can do also some threats and demands. So, for example, you can threaten a race like "Give me this star system, or I will come destroy you," which usually works uh, best if you have just uh, used stellar converter on one of their planets. That gives them more motivation to, to be <laughs> pliable. And then you can also exchange technologies, which is uh, well one of the good ways of getting some technologies that you have missed uh, in the in the technology tree. Yeah, instead of just Taking them by attacking, yeah, or or spying. Oh yeah, or spying. Yes. Um, uh, coming back to diplomacy for a second, um, you can also make gifts. Hmm. So you can give them a planet without them asking. And maybe if it's a useless planet and you're playing against maybe not the strongest AI, then that will actually improve your relationship with them, and you may get other things that you like. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And if you if you are in war. With a race, then you can contact them and ask them for a peace treaty, and that will end the war at least. Right, if they accept. Yes, or they maybe sometimes they will ask you for a for a peace treaty, and sometimes if you're strong enough, they will offer things. Yeah. Uh, to make you more reliable in keeping the peace. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they will just contact you and say, "Hey, here, I will give you this planet if you please stop the war." Yeah, and then of course you accept it and and attack them again. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you do that, it will lower the uh, rating with other races, but I've never actually seen the difference. Yeah, I think at that point, it's usually, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah. There's also uh, random events happening, right? Which are mm -hmm. sort of, well, they can be anything, really. I think they're announced on the on the news. There's this, there's this news channel. Galactic News Network. <laughs> exactly. The... the the Galaxy News Station, uh, which is operated by, a, I think it's a robot uh, news anchor. It's a robot, or, yes. Yeah. So, so there can be these really weird events happening from time to time. One time, I had like my my home planet was in complete lockdown because of a of an event. I don't remember what a the event was actually. A space time anomaly, probably. Yeah. So this doesn't. It, it yeah. It it forbids any ships going in or out. Which was a bit bad timing because at that time my home planet <laughs> was the only food source for my whole galaxy, for my whole empire. So, uh, yeah, that was a bit of a problem. Um, what are other events that can happen? Um, a space flux, I think it's called, can happen, which prevents all ships galaxy wide from moving. Oh, um, not just uh, not just yours or. No, all, all of them. Wow. Then another thing that can happen is that a space eel uh, appears and spreads from planet to planet until someone stops him. Hmm. Or it, rather. Yeah. Maybe the, um, what they often call the, the, or what they explain by the tilt axis of your planet shifting can result in a better or worse climate on one of your planets. Or maybe miners find new resources, which increases the mineral classification of your planet. Those things can happen. Sometimes a wealthy merchant just donates money to your empire. <laughs> the most random um, of all the events. Yes. Um, so <laughs> and sometimes the money is huge. They, yeah. they will give you income for 20, 30 turns, sometimes even more. Mm. Yeah. 
or ships explode, or you stumble upon a technology that you had researched and would have taken 20 turns, but suddenly you have it already. And yeah. those are the things that can happen. And there are two, two interesting ones are the last craze, which increases the population growth rate on the planet for a while. <laughs> yeah. And also the dragon, which can come attack you. But uh, when he comes to your planet, it asks you like if you are willing to pay it a large sum of money, then you can choose another planet that it will go attack instead. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's kind of cool. And and these things are also truly random, as I've as I've noticed in the in the first game that I played, the, the multiplayer session, because it was kind of a roller coaster of emotions when that started happening. Because on <laughs> on the one hand, like you know. I had a planet which was pretty much barren and everything, and then it said it, you know, the, the planet tilted and became uh, Terran-like, so I hmm. could, find, you know, every the climate changed and everything like that. And I was like, yes, hey, fine, I have like a better planet now. That's cool. <laughs> and then, and then five turns later, a, a massive ship was done, and then as soon as it entered the game, there was kind of a disaster, and suddenly the ship was gone. Oh, I was like, man. no, I spent like thirty-five <laughs> turns on that, you know, and stuff like that. So. <laughs> So you, you, you can influence um, how likely it is for you to um, experience good or bad random events. There's right. another race option that you can pick that is called Lucky, <laughs> which increases your chance of um, positive events. And there was also someone, I don't, I don't remember who said it, it might have been one of you, but that the um, when, when the, the news events happened, um, the, the, it's a television network. Yes, I know. Yeah. It was kind of like a, it's it's a very nice idea of the future that that you know thousands of years into the future yes. we still use TV for the space news. TV. Yes, space TV. <laughs> what what makes me wonder about this galactic news network even more is the fact that you will get um, you will you're receiving the the news stream and you will hear about other races and what happens to them. But if you don't have contacted them yourself, then you don't know about them. You don't even know what races exist. But sometimes you get a news show that tells you something about a race that you didn't know exists and you have no way of contacting them, but the news is there. So. <laughs> yeah, the news, they are omniscient. Yeah. They and they're also impartial. Uh, I mean, the, the, the news <laughs> yeah. is not run by any of the alien factions. So it's a completely separate entity that's running the news. And yeah, yeah. this is robots. And interestingly, what's, um, sometimes the news can actually be useful because they will tell you that race owns that many colonies yeah. or here is the ranking of, of races based on population. And yeah, I mean, you, you can see all those things once you have contact with those races. But before that, the news are the only source of information from you. <laughs> I think other games also have sort of similar things, though. I remember Civilization also having a sort of, we had a ranking of everyone's technology and these are the, well, this is the list. And some guy in a, in a white robe would present a list of all the, how advanced all the races are. So Also in SimCity you had newspapers. I yeah. Think. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in that vein. Yeah. Though as, as soon as you have contact with a race, you have better means of gaining information about them. Right. Now, we have not... I mean, we've talked about the game itself quite a bit now, but we haven't actually mentioned at all that the, this game was developed by a company called Syntex. No. So I think maybe it would be interesting to talk a little bit about them. I think it's not possible to talk a lot about them because honestly, I don't know a whole lot about them. No, me neither. No, and it's hard to, to find a lot of information about this because, uh, well... The only thing I did find is that Simtex was uh, founded in 1988, 
But then the first game they, they released, it was actually Master of Orion. The first one? Yeah, that's the first game they made in 1993. So I don't know what they did for the first five years. Maybe, I don't know, be a contractor for other game studios or... I, I think I read something like that, but I cannot recall the details. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the first game was Master of Orion in 1993. And then they made a second game in 1994 called uh, Master of Magic, which is actually a game I have played quite a bit. I don't know if any of you played it, but it's really uh, it's really an interesting game. It's like a mix of civilization and heroes of Might and Magic. Mm. You have these heroes with their armies, uh, but you also have city management, which is more like civilization, and you can build cities where you want. Yeah, it's really quite cool. And every player plays a magician, uh, or a wizard, I should say, uh, that's in a big tower, and you can you can develop spells and then cast them over the land. It's really uh, quite cool. Maybe we can have that in the DOS Game Club in the future. There, there was a poll about that, I think. Uh, Didn't we? Yeah. In the, in, the, in the same one where we picked Heroes of Might and Magic, mm. I think we had Master of Magic in the same one. Oh, yeah, quite possibly. Um, now, I saw on Wikipedia, they also apparently made a game called 1830 Railroads and Robber Barons, which is apparently based on a board game. But I've never heard of the board game, and I've also never heard of this video game. So I really can't tell you anything about it. But then, interestingly, in 1996, they made their fourth game, which is Master of Orion 2, the game we're talking about now. And that's also the last game they made. So, uh, I don't know. It seemed they were on the roll. I mean, all the games they made before, as far as I know, were received quite well, and, and then suddenly it was over. I read that they had some games in development, uh, one called Mech Lords, but it was cancelled. And another game they were building was called Guardian Agents of Justice. But then, yeah, the studio closed in 1997. And that was it. So, very, very sad. Yeah. We might have, maybe, maybe we would have gotten a real Master of Orion 3 at one point. (laughs) Yeah, because the rights got sold off and and other people did make more games in the series. But yeah, yeah, it it never involved uh, the original people, I think. Yeah. One of the central figures in all this is a guy named Steve Barcia. He was one of the founders of Simtex uh, in 1988. And he is also, I think, one of the designers of, uh, well, of all of the games, probably, but at least of Master of Orion 2. And I think he became sort of a, like a game industry veteran. I, I read that he became uh, the CEO of a, of a Nintendo studio in, in America called Retro Studios. Uh, where they worked on Metroid Prime. Mm. And then later he moved to EA Vancouver, where he worked on such games as Def Jam and SSX on Tour and Need for Speed Undercover. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he's been doing since, but apparently he's been just completely uh, dived into the whole game industry and making big games for big studios. But sadly, his own studio uh, only made four games. It's kind of impressive how different those games are as you just mentioned. Hmm. Like it doesn't like you would you would kind of expect uh, someone behind a game like this to basically stick to what they know, but if I hear like you know the the, the Metroid and Need for Speed and all that, it's like you know very different games. Yeah, I'm not sure if he was really the game designer for those games. Hmm. I think he was more like a management sort of guy. Okay, because the games that they were made by Simtex themselves, they are sort of similar. 
uh, Master of Orion and and Master of Magic are are both 4X games. Yeah. And the only other game they made was the 1830 game, which was based on a board game. So I can see some similarities there as well. Yeah. But yeah, I, that's that's really all I know. So I don't know if any one of you knows more than this. But uh, this, I don't have a lot other things to tell. Other than it seems like a shame that these guys left because all the games they made seem pretty cool. Oh, very sad. Yeah, it is sad. Um, now, you mentioned that that there were sequels made. Actually, quite a few, right? Um, yeah. There's, of course, the original Master of Orion. There was a prototype going around, apparently, which was called uh, Star Lords. Uh, and it's now often named Master of Orion Zero. And this was sort of a prototype game. Apparently, they they showed this to various publishers. And they even made a, a version that started with a your logo here screen. So like they could they could show it to a publisher, like, oh, you see, this is where your logo could be. But this uh, this Star Lords prototype, apparently it's uh it's released as freeware nowadays. I think it's on on one of the CD ROMs, actually, of uh I think of Master of Orion 3, if I remember correctly. Oh, I have to check that. I have the thing standing there, but I never actually <laughs> bothered to play the game after I first tried it. I think, I think Star-Lords is on the disc, so you can actually uh, play it yourself. It's probably a better game than Master of Orion 3. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Looking at the screenshots of the Star-Lords, it it really looks like Master of Orion 1, so I suppose it's really, yeah, you know, like you said, a prototype. Yeah, I think this is just the game that, that eventually turned into Master of Orion. Oh, right. Um, don't try Googling Star-Lord. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, eventually they, they found uh, Microprose, right? Because that's the publisher that published this game, which was a big publisher of 4X games at the time. I mean... Uh, wasn't Civilization also published by, by Microprose? I think so. At, at least Civ 2. Um, the big poster that comes with the uh, big box of Master of Orion says, from the makers of, no, from the developers of uh, Master of Magic and the publisher of Civilization 2. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this was a big, big publisher for these kinds of uh, strategy and, and turn-based games at the time. So, yeah, that seems like a good fit. And then later, of course, they also made uh, Master of Orion 2, which is, well, which is the sequel and, and is this game, which is, well, have you have you played the first one as well, Florian? Um, I tried it actually for November, and mm -hmm. it's, it's quite different in many aspects. Huh. And uh, most people to whom I talked, they either loved the one and hated the other <laughs> or the other way around. Yeah. So there don't seem to be many people who like both games. Hmm. That's interesting. I remember that I really liked the first one before I started to play two, but once I got the whole of two, I basically completely stopped. Uh, they are quite different, but uh, I, I believe that the Master of Orion 2 is superior in every way. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, the people who say that Master of Orion 1 is better, is they say mostly because you have much less micromanagement. Hmm. You don't have to pick every building that you build everywhere, but you just say, hey, build this stuff. And yeah. then over time, stuff gets built. And Okay. And Master of Orion 2, it was originally released for DOS, but it was also ported to the Macintosh, I read. And it was also available for, for Windows 95. Yeah. Which was relevant. Yeah, um, actually, I, I only know one 
version for Windows and DOS, and that one is on the same CD. Um, so yeah, I don't know if they were released at the same time, but I always thought they were. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the game was released in November of 1996. Yeah. So yeah, by this time, Windows 95 was sort of established as a as a big operating system. So I think, um, for example, Red Alert is also from the same era. It's also from 1996, and that also came with uh, Windows and DOS executables on the on the same disk. Yeah. Then it was a few years of nothing, uh, but eventually in 2003, Master of Orion 3 got released, and uh, well. <laughs> What shall I say? <laughs> well, um, this game was not received very well, was it? No, but let's say uh, I don't hate. I don't hate everything about the game. There are good parts. <laughs> I don't of the game. hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best way to start they... this glowing review. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they they added a lot of of lore about the the background story and um, the origin of the races. And when I played it uh, for a while, I thought that was quite cool and interesting. And yeah. As far as I could tell back then, it was relatively well written, mm. but the game was just boring. Mm. It's also very ugly. Mm. Oh yeah, and it has real time, uh, real time combat. Ooh, uh, no ooh, thanks. That's that's always a bad. <laughs> yeah. Stick all of that on the box and sell it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't hate everything. <laughs> it's ugly and real time. Yeah, it's ugly. <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe if if they had made it a book instead of a game, maybe that would have been better. <laughs> But um, yeah, this this sort of seemed like the end of the franchise at that point uh, because it was just it wasn't loved as much as the previous ones. So that seemed like the end of it. But then actually, it got sort of a reboot, and in 2016, Master of Orion: Conquer the Stars was released, um, and this is made by yet another developer. So I don't know. Has, has any one of you played the the latest game? No. Aww. Me neither. <laughs> I haven't played it. I watched some um, Let's Play videos okay. to see how it looked. So it's uh, they try to be very similar to well, Master of Orion 2 in spirit. Right. And they actually included people from the original team, from the Master of Orion 1 okay. uh, in development. So they had uh, Jeff Johanningman, who was the producer, and Jeff D, who was, I think, the lead artist. Okay. And they had David Govett, which was who was the original music composer, but they didn't get the uh, uh, game designers. Mm. And so they worked with the studio to to keep the spirit. And but they made some changes to the game, which are well, let's say controversial. So apparently the game is not bad, mm. uh, uh, but uh, it uh, lacks uh, depth from the Master of Orion 2. So, for example, you can only move from planet to planet. Yeah. You can't attack anybody anywhere of, uh, anywhere on the map. And the combats are, I think, semi-real-time, so you can pause them and give orders, something like that. So it's mm. it's it's a different game. It's uh, geared more towards, I suppose, the modern uh, gameplay, so they change it a bit. But it, it looks quite good. Uh, it's... Uh, well, but it's it didn't live up to the legend, let's mm. say, of the Master of Orion. By the way, you you just mentioned that in the newer game you can only travel from planet to planet. That's also something they had in Master of Orion Three, where they had um, star lanes between different stars. 
but in Master of Orion 2, you can just move freely as far as your fuel cells take you. And uh, Martin, I think you had a complaint about that because you said that made it too easy to just um, move all your ships to the home planet of your enemy and by just bypassing all the borders and... Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. In most 4X games, you're protecting your borders. So you have this empire with hopefully your your capital somewhere tucked away, far away from the border, so it's hard to reach. But in Master of Orion, you don't actually have to go through the border at all. You don't have to stop there. You can just send your fleet, well, wherever the fuel cells can take you, like you said. So it's it's easy to just, you know, dive bomb into the home planet of the of the enemy. And once you've taken over their home planet, then probably they're quite crippled by that. And well, everything just falls apart from them from, from that point on. So I don't I'm not sure if this is really a complaint because it's also quite interesting and it speeds up the game as well. So maybe it's a good thing. But it's just very different from from a lot of other Forex games where you're really focused on protecting the border and just not letting anyone through. Right. Uh, maybe should mention that there's also technology that you can research that uh, solves the problem. Of course. Because you, you can research <laughs> Stargate, which will allow all your ships that are stationed anywhere and on any of your colonies to move to any other colony within a single turn, no matter how far away it is. So Yeah. But that that's that sometimes if you're if you're not careful, that leads to um chasing the enemy around, uh, just jumping back and forth and not doing anything really for a while. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Um, I'm a bit torn on that topic. Yeah, I'd, I think in general it's quite cool how it works in Master of Orion 2. It's just uh, different from, from most other 4X games, right. where distance is a real significant factor. So, yeah, if, if, in, if in this game, if you develop fast engines and you've got good fuel cells, then, well, you can just basically pop up everywhere. It still takes a few turns to go from one side of the end to the other. But maybe you have stealthy ships, then... That won't help your enemy at all. And also, if you if you invested in fuel cells and engines, then it means you didn't invest in uh, beam weapons and computers. So your ships will be worse. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's just well, it's it's uh, like like everything in this game. It's uh, it's a complex, different factors all combined into a well in a messy <laughs> what what, what? <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it's just very complicated <laughs> so it makes it hard to predict uh what to focus on so maybe you should defend your home planet but maybe you should defend your borders and you're never really sure where to where to be yeah. well you, you can also build warp interdictors which means your enemies will need at least a certain number of turns to reach any of your worlds Hmm. And then you have enough time to move your ships around. So. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a good one. There are options over options. <laughs> exactly. I think it's uh, it, it's interesting maybe to look a little bit at the graphics and uh, and the audio, the the sound and the music. So just the whole presentation right. of this game. So what what did, what did you guys think about the um, art style of the game? Because it has this mixture of pre-rendered 3D stuff with 2D characters. I always thought it was super beautiful, but what do people think who didn't play the game for 20 years it's it's more colorful in my opinion than some other dos games of the of the era mm -hmm. it's a 256 color game right right but it doesn't look like it i think it doesn't look like it because i, I think they do some 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 very intelligent palette shifting throughout all the scenes because especially the little scene that you land on the planet 
every single planet, depending on you know whether it's like a desert or toxic or a swampland or something like that, has some interesting colors and stuff going on. Yeah, and then every single like static screen that you switch to has a has a slightly different temperature of colors and stuff going on. Right. I, I really I really like that about the game. For, actually, we, we were talking about um, whether it was a 256 color game or not, and I was I was not sure. I, I thought it might have, might be a 16 bit color game, but after a while, we figured out it's actually just eight bits of color. Yeah. So that's that's really awesome, I think. And the art style, all in all, I always loved it about that game. Although it's it's uh, yeah. it is a super VGA resolution, right? It's uh, yes, six forty by four eighty. So for a DOS game, that's really quite detailed, right? Yeah, and I also think that the higher resolution enabled a lot of things actually that are possible in the game uh, because otherwise the screens would be for example compared to Master of Orion 1 the game could get more complex because you could have more buttons and uh, options on screen and statistics yes hmm. i think that's true yeah hmm. and and apart from these um well static screens i would, i don't want to say that it's boring or anything but there's also lots of uh, video sequences. Yes, there's uh, well, like the planet landing stuff, but also the news is all animated, and the the diplomacy stuff is all moving and stuff. There are actually several kinds of different kinds of animation. So there are some full motion video sequences, mm-hmm. and other things are just basically um, stop motion uh, characters that move a bit. And then you have those in the diplomacy screen. You have those those holographic things and. Yeah, it's it's uh, three different kinds of, of animation, really. Yeah, I think maybe one thing that they could maybe do without is these full motion video sequences because those, I mean, they are a bit oldish. I would say they are fun, especially this stellar converter, <laughs> but um, I don't think they were necessary. I think it was really hip at the time, though. Yeah, and and yeah, um, some of them maybe they are a bit superfluous, but uh, at least the intro and the victory and and um, defeat videos, I think they that without that the game would miss a bit. But the stellar converter and there's another thing when the Enterrans attack, hmm. then you get basically just a video of of their dimensional portal opening and their ships flying through. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe that's not so super interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, but there's also lots of sound and music, of course, going on. Yeah. I'm not actually sure. I mean, the sound effects, they're just PCM wave sound effects, like like digital. What do you call these? Digital audio stuff. But is the music ad-lib? Is it like OPL stuff or is it something else? Oh, I didn't check, but I always thought it was CD audio. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's CD audio because it's it's not very uh, dynamic, so it changes from screen to screen. Hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, and it sounds very well rich, and and it doesn't sound like a chip. So yeah, I think they're just recordings, probably CD audio. That sounds about right. It's really cool. Shall shall we listen for a few seconds to the music? Oh sure, yeah, play it. Let me play some. Um, I think the music is, is super. It's super thematic and it fits the theme and it's not... uh, Well, let's just listen a bit.
epic. Right? Yes, I, I love that that last <laughs> part where I don't know what to call this uh, style of instrument, but the melody or the harmonics. I, I always it's it's super recognizable, and I, I really love that. So, but I'm I'm a bit opinionated. I think <laughs> it uh, really puts you into mood. Yeah, yeah, it, it it screams space, right? Definitely. Yeah. It, and what I immediately noticed is that this this music, as you go through the game, when you're just starting out with, you know, maybe your first colony or your first, your second, whatever, whatever, it, it is kind of this easy sort of music that makes you think like, hey, I've just started this game. It's just an easygoing music. A lot of RTS games have this sort of easy music. But as you progress further in the game, for instance, when you realize that you're at war with someone, like there's another player in the game there's a there's an npc and they're threatening you then it kind of becomes this sort of anxious uneasiness kind of an unsurety about it right and then once you actually have had a battle because in the battle the music changes and everything when you get out of battle and no matter if you've won or lost you kind of get back to this music and it becomes kind of like a familiar place again it's like um oh, i'm back no matter the result it's like it's over now right it's like it it serves so many purposes at the same time it's it's a really well written piece of music hmm. and it's not even that technically complex there's not much going on but it serves the purpose so well it's it's really nicely done definitely yeah, so the, the music uh, was composed by Laura Barat. And uh, somebody actually, a few years back, so in 2014, uh, posted the whole soundtrack of Master of Orion 2 on YouTube. It was a channel called uh, Video Game Soundtracks, which is a very small channel. And she actually, a year ago, uh, put a comment on this video and said, like, just thanking everybody for the who likes the music. And she said she has more of it. So uh, I think maybe... Uh, on her website or somewhere we could find more of that. Oh, that's awesome. I, uh, I'll i see if I can, can find it and put a link up with the post with this uh, podcast. It would be cool to check more of her work. Yeah, I mean, the, the sound effects, they, they serve their purpose. They are generic. It's just good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> space battle just sounds. Just the menu blips. And, yeah, the menus, they all... Bloop. I mean, whenever yeah. you click, there, there's, a, there's a blip or a click sound. And in battle... It sounds like battle, so... Yeah. I don't think there's so much to say about it. No. Maybe it's just that the click sound gets annoying after... No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, what did other people think of this game back when it was released? I think, in general, the reviews, they were quite favorable, I think. Yeah, but as as always, there are some people who have to ruin the party for everyone else. How so? Um... There was in Gamer's Zone from 1996, the year it was released, um, they gave it um, 60 out of 100 points. Wow. Why? Uh, I think the guy who wrote it didn't understand the game. Mm. Um, he says, I played four bouts and feel drained of all patience. So he doesn't seem to have played the game for a very long time. And no. I think most of you had the same experience that for the first few games, you don't really know what you're doing. And in that time, the game is not so much fun. Yeah. So to appreciate it, I think you have to play a bit more and sit through the um, tedious learning phase in the beginning. Yeah, and also maybe just disable some of the options. Yeah, to to begin with, that's that's maybe a good idea. Yeah. And start with strategic com- uh, combat where you don't have to design your ships because th- that makes lots of things a lot easier and disable and tear on attacks. And... Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, this this maybe was an outlier because, in general, I think the reviews were quite good, weren't they? Yeah, there were some 100 and, and in a 
percent range things. So all in all, I think the game was received really well. And I mean, for a reason, because it still has a very strong um, fan community hmm. um, even now. So Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Richard also uh, scanned in some magazine reviews again. He, uh, he does this from time to time. Yeah, he has this huge collection of old magazines. It's just amazing. Yeah, exactly, which is really cool. So uh, let's see which... Uh, I think he has a, a PC Zone one. Ooh, they, they gave it a, a 92. Oh, that's, uh, that's appropriate. <laughs> the, the conclusion is, goodbye life, hello Orion 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I think that's that's the same for uh, most well-made 4X games. I mean, when I play, first played Civ Five, I also didn't do anything else for the next few weeks. So <laughs> I think that's, that's just normal for this kind of game. Yeah. Another review he scanned in is from uh, PC Format, and they actually only gave it a 7 out of 10. Idiots. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, they mainly they mainly uh, complained about the graphics. It seems they say it's uninspired, and uh, they compare it to Civilization Two a lot, which doesn't make any sense if you ask me, because that game doesn't look much better. <laughs> no, no. Well, they say unlike the highly stylized Civ Two, Mutu is rather crude in the graphics department. So, eh, I'm not sure <laughs> if this is a really objective way of looking at things, but. No, I think we can dismiss this one. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think you found some some Czech ones, right, Josef? Yeah, I, I I managed to find all of the Czech ones actually. Oh wow! So all three of them. But, <laughs> nice. Uh, so generally, the reviews were very positive. One they gave it uh, six out of seven points. Six out of seven. Uh, <laughs> that's a weird. That's a weird wow. scale. Yeah, uh, actually, at the time, the magazines they all had different scales uh, for. <laughs> reasons i don't know but so uh, they they said that uh, basically it's a great game and that everything from the master of orion one was made better and they didn't make any errors okay. while making the wow. game and uh, they really liked uh, the research part especially because it has uh like over two i think it's 250 different technologies to review mm-hmm. another magazine uh, they said that the the, the verdict was nine out of ten Okay, and uh, so they said it's so different from Master of Orion One that it's it's not even a like successor. It's really a new new game. Yeah, so they really liked it, and weirdly enough, the third one they gave eighty five out of hundred, so very good review overall. Yeah, but uh, they didn't like the micromanagement part, so the fact that you have to build the buildings once you research them mm. rather than having them automatically, and. Uh, they criticize it, it it's, that it's not different enough from Master of Orion 1. So, wow, yeah. that's really odd considering the <laughs> last review. Yeah, that was a bit weird, but they still get it a very good score. So, yeah. So. How about but the micromanagement thing? I, I think I can understand that a bit. So in longer games, after a while, I get a bit too lazy to micromanage all my colonies. So I just let them run free. And Yeah, well, there is an auto-build function. Yeah, there is the auto-build, but it has two problems is that it builds the dimension portals on all of your planets hmm. and also the food replicators, which cost a ginormous amount of money and they are useless. <laughs> you know what? I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never seen auto-build. What is that? It's it's a button. Teach me something. <laughs> on the In the bottom right of the screen, when you build, it's a blue button and you can push and it will just do whatever computer will do. So oh. it, it's it's quite good, actually. It will build everything, but you have to stop it before it builds the, the last... Uh, 
<laughs> crazy. Yeah. I, I have actually never noticed that button before. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. I, I know what Florian's playing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, playing it, I, I, I'm not really sure how to ask you. I mean, I want to ask, did you think the game holds up? But... Uh, Florian, yes. Obviously, you think it holds up quite well. Yeah, I'm not so sure about no. Of course. <laughs> now that I know um, that it has an auto build, I hate it. <laughs> no, I hate the game. <laughs> I was really happy that we played it, and hmm. what makes me more happy is that I think everybody who tried it um, during November with us liked it too, and that's that's a really right. That's a happy moment for me. Exactly. Yeah, so there's either people who like it and there's people who have not played it. Exactly. That's really, that's, I think that's, that's, yeah. that's right to say. Mm. Right. Okay. So yeah, I, I think overall, um, everybody who's just who has the slightest interest in um, turn-based strategy or 4X games, um, as, as someone, some user on Moby Games said it, if you don't own the game, you're mad. Okay. Do we agree with this? What do you think, Yossi? Uh I mean... Think well about your answers. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's the the thing which is a bit maybe odd and sad is that it looks like uh, there nobody made a game that would be objectively considered better than Master of Orion two in the same genre. Hmm. So it's it holds up so well that it's kind of like the ultimate forex game. Hmm. It has its faults, but. Uh, but it's a, uh, I would, yeah, definitely. If you if you if you are even remotely interested in turn-based uh, strategy games, this is definitely the one to play. Yeah, yeah. I, I would only have like one gripe with this game, and that is that it is really fun to play this game multiplayer. Hmm. Like it, it is really really fun, but it takes an awful lot of time <laughs> to to finish a game. So rather than treating this game like uh, any other strategy game, a m- multiplayer strategy game that I've played before, uh, uh, whereas you, you can just start up a game on an evening and maybe finish it that evening, or maybe save it midway through and finish it the next day, this is more of a game that you can kind of treat as a sort of fast Dungeons and Dragons campaign, where you have a group of friends that kind of you know, you need to plan your play sessions and then you play for, you know, several play sessions until you, you finally reach a conclusion. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a multiplayer game for patient people, but it's really fun uh, when, when people start role-playing uh, their, their race and, you know, doing all sorts of things like that. It's, it's a really great experience to do that. Right. But it, that, that can also be a bit, it can be a bit frustrating. So we started, I think, four multiplayer games um, with the club and we finished only two. Mm. And the two games that we finished, uh, Martin and I played alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but even then, we, yeah. I think in one one night, we played until four in the morning or something like that. Yep. So. Oh, yeah. I was so tired but happy at the end. <laughs> Although, I mean, the, the game is very slow in multiplayer, but really all 4X games have, have this problem. It's just by nature. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing that, that Master of Orion 2 does really well is it allows all the players to do their turns simultaneously. So you're not you're not just waiting for the previous guy. Uh, you're only waiting for the slowest guy this turn. Yeah. So everyone is doing their turn just at the same time, which I think is, is actually pretty clever. Um, we should mention real quick that a network is not the only way to play it. So you can play it with, I think, up to eight players on one computer oh. using a hot seat. But that that will that will take a decade to finish <laughs> it because then you actually have to wait for each player. Exactly. 
but it's it's a possibility, uh, and that's how I played my first twenty games or so, okay. and it's also quite fun. That's interesting, though, because then you can just, as an opponent, you can just look at what the next player is doing on the screen. Or you'd have very strict rules of, yes, like, keep behind my monitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you need a baseball bat next to oh, the yeah. screen, basically, yes. <laughs> or a fly sweater. <laughs> An electric one, maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I also think this game holds up remarkably well. Uh, you have to be a fan of the genre, I suppose. Uh, I mean, if you're looking for fast action games, then... This is not for you, but if you like either strategy games or turn-based games or just general space games, because it's a really cool uh, science fiction game as well, with all the different technology options and everything and the, the the race design stuff. It's really interesting. I can see myself playing this game just outside of uh, of those game club as well. Um, I think it's just yeah one of those games you just start up on a. The occasional weekend where you have nothing to do and just play until four in the morning. That's uh, just perfect. Yeah. It's one of those games that I guess a few people have as their their desert island game. Definitely. It's like, I cannot do without this game. Or like, you know, I, I use many systems. I have a laptop, I have a desktop and everything. But I cannot use any sy- a system that doesn't have this game installed. I can imagine it being a game like that for for a lot of people. Yeah, just you know, have that game there when you need need it. You know, you have a lazy Sunday evening. Nobody's at home. You have nothing to do, and you think, huh, you know, this Master of Orion. You know, let's let's just watch yeah. the hours go by. <laughs> that's why I have my game in Dropbox, and it syncs to all of my computers. Ah, that's very good. <laughs> well, that's a good that's idea. Um, so, if if people want to get into this game, how can they? Is it is it for like is it on Steam or anything, or can you just buy it? I don't know about Steam, but it's on GOG, and um, it's typically around six euros or something. But right now, there's there's a huge sale on it, and it's it's very cheap at the moment, one fifty. Oh wow! And uh, that that happens that happens every few months. Hmm. So um, that should be illegal. (laughs) For this game, yes, absolutely. Um, But but anyway, if you if you don't want to spend a lot of money on the game and it's more than a few euros or dollars or whatever at the moment, then just wait a few weeks and it's probably on sale again. Hmm. Yeah. Because um, I, I have it as, a, as a, a big box, but I also bought it on GOG because it's just super super useful to have it um, in the cloud, basically. So yeah. I can just download it wherever I want to play it, whenever I want to play it. And it's, it was just two euros. So Yeah, exactly. And I, I think they sell it as a, a bundle of um, yes. of the original Master of Orion and the sequel, Master of Orion 2. So Yes, so you get two play two games for, for less than two or three dollars. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a good price. And it's also um, compatible. <laughs> well, I mean, it runs in DOSBox, so you can run it on every system that that DOSBox supports, but GOG themselves, they also offer the, uh, a Mac and a Linux installer, I think. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah, And they, they are also pre-configured for a multiplayer game yeah. uh, over the internet. So you just have to you have to um, forward the appropriate port on your on your router and you can play online. Yeah. I, I just checked I just checked on Steam and both games are six euros on Steam each. Oh. So mm. don't buy it on Steam. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. if you are looking for like a, a legitimate old school big box version, I think eBay is the one the way to go. Then, right? That's the way I chose. At least they they yeah. show up from time to time. They're not super rare, but uh, you should be prepared to pay like forty or fifty euros for them, mm. including shipping. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Meh. For fans, I suppose that's not too bad. <laughs> I just hope that one day 
someone will come around with more technical knowledge about this game than I do and make a touch compatible uh, mm. version of it that runs somewhere because I was just thinking there's very few instances where you actually type something you might name yeah. a few planets here and there but I think for, that's optional so yeah for the rest it's just I mean you, you have left click and you have a right click now, a right click on uh, I'm, I'm used to Windows tablets or it's just a long press so essentially the 99% of all the inputs can be given with a touchscreen. And that would be awesome. Like this game would be great because if it's a small resolution, just, you know, enlarge it and you have a tablet game. Some people say that Windows 10 is better at backwards compatibility. Maybe you can try the Windows 95 version on your tablet. Hmm. Who knows? I've just spent like a, a, an afternoon on this trying to figure out how uh, DOSBox and stuff can work with touch, but it, I, I had no success. But uh, I got very close once, but it didn't really work all that well. Mm. I think you're right, though. I think just imagine like walking around with an iPad or something like that yeah. and then playing this game. That's uh, straight out of Star Trek. That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just games like this. I mean, I did the same thing for Monkey Island when we were playing that. It's just when you when mm. you touch things, it's, it's it just, lend, you know, it, it works with the genre really well. Yeah. yeah. So... And on this game, it's not as like a, like a, um, uh, it, it helps that it's just a single screen and it's not something like an Age of Empires or something like that where you actually have to move around the camera and stuff. Mm. Like you can just yeah. tap on things and that's, you know, yeah. that's all you do. So it will be perfect. But, uh, you know, many, many curse words were said in that afternoon that I tried. So <laughs> <laughs> I didn't succeed. Right. Uh, is there anything that we should mention before we wrap this up? Do you think, Florian? Oh, I, I think, I mean, I could talk about the game for many more hours, but maybe um, Yeah. Well, my audacity says I still have space for 733 hours, so I'm, I'm fine <laughs> with that. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> so keep it brief. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's that's it. If you know, if you're interested in, in uh, turn-based 4X games, then this one is just... A really cool one. And it may be daunting at first, but if you just, you know, take it slow and, and turn all the extra stuff off at first and learn it by right-clicking and reading everything, then, yeah. Play a creative phrase for the first few games, at least. Mm, yeah. So you learn all the technology and yeah, yeah. Read, read an online strategy guide, maybe. <laughs> Definitely. I'll put a link with, to that as well, <laughs> along with the post. So, yeah, definitely recommend this game. Really cool. Cool uh, choice, Florian. Good job. Yay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that wraps it up for uh, for Massive Array and for us. Um, what's going on uh, besides that? Uh, we played this game in November. Yes. Uh, it's de December now. And in December, well, it's a bit of a weird month uh, because we're not featuring a single game like we normally do. No. And we're not even featuring two games. We are not even featuring three and not four. No, <laughs> we're featuring six, six games. What? Uh, yeah, we held all these these suggestions for, for small games and, and we didn't really know what to do with them. So we thought, well, maybe we could just bundle six games into one month and then just play them all. I don't know how we're going to do the next uh, podcast, but I suppose we'll just talk about each game for... A few minutes. I always want to say six small podcasts. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. 
Um, we'll come up with something. Yeah. So uh, if you want to dive in, the games are um, Micro's Dilemma 2, which I think is a game you picked, Florian. Yep. I actually meant to pick a different one. I noticed after playing through Micro's Dilemma 2, <laughs> <laughs> I actually meant the, the sequel, but this one was fun too. Ah, well. A bit easy, maybe. I think the same thing happened with another game we picked, which is Load Runner. Right. Uh, that's also one of the six games. Uh, because Toasty actually <laughs> yeah, wanted Mike's, to play. Yeah, uh, he suggested, uh, well, a later <laughs> 90s version of Load Runner, which has more advanced features. But yeah, we went with the 1983 original. So uh, yeah, that's one of them. Uh, another one is Alley Cat, which is also a really old DOS game. And technically, it's not even a DOS game, is it? No, it, um, as far as I could find out about the game, it was never really released for DOS. It was released for the PC, but only as a boot disk that you used instead of your DOS. Right. And I think all, at least all that I found out is that um, all the DOS versions are actually pirated ones. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> uh, another game we're playing is called Uck uh, or Ook or... Something like that, which is uh, with the cavemen and the, and the helicopter, taxi, the platform things. <laughs> Another game uh, we're featuring is uh, Bolo Ball by Solo Software, which is, uh, well, just one guy, uh, William Solo. And he made like, I don't know, 200 games and they're all basically the same. Yes. <laughs> uh, and one of them is, is Bolo Ball. Uh, there's also, this is funny, I, yesterday I was watching a, a stream of, uh, of a DOS Game Club member, uh, Spacefarer. Uh, he was he was playing volleyball, but he was also playing a different game by Solo, which was a balloon something challenge. To do. Yeah, exactly the balloons, and it's just exactly the same game, but it's but upside, upside down. down yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's great. Uh, and the final one is called Minor VGA. Uh, that's got to be the weirdest game of the bunch, right? Yes, it's uh, uh, yeah, it's you have to dig around i've played it actually a bit and it's it's weird to get into but yeah once you get the hang of it it's quite cool and uh you have to dig around and then sell gems for money and then eventually you can get a date with some barmaid or something it's yeah i don't know what's going on but it's (laughs) it's a fun game so if you want to hang around and play dos games with us then uh then join on dosgameclub.com and uh, that's where we're discussing these games that's the end of the year as well so uh, next year we'll we'll start with a bang somewhat because we minor minor bang. Well, you know we never played a real like big RPG game, so we figured we might we might play one of those. Uh, so we had a thread on the forums and uh, asked people for suggestions of RPG games, and we really got lots of really really cool uh, suggestions. But uh, one of them that that was mentioned several times and and seemed to well it ha- it it syncs up nicely with the release of the new Fallout game, the Fallout sixty seven that's been released recently seventy six yes, which actually turns out not to be a really good game. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the the origins of Fallout can be traced to a nineteen eighties game called Wasteland, which is also by Interplay. So yeah, that's what we're going to play in January. Really looking forward to this, because I don't really know what to expect. I've never played this. No idea. Hey, Martijn here. Sorry to interrupt the show for a second, but next up was us talking about how we're going to play Life and Death in February, which is a uh, medical simulator from the late 1980s. Um, It's actually one of the earliest suggested games still open on our forums. However... Since recording this episode, a brand new game for MS-DOS has been released by a man named David Murray, 
also known as The 8-Bit Guy on YouTube. It's the result of a successful Kickstarter campaign back in June of last year, and we hadn't expected the game to be released so soon actually, but since it's not every day that a brand new game comes out for DOS, we thought it would be fun to feature it with the club. So, in February we will be playing Planet X3 by David Murray, and we'll look at Life and Death later. And now, back to Florian, who will tell us what's going to happen in March. Um, in March, it will be our second anniversary already. And it's it's become sort of a tradition to play first-person person shooters in March, in our um, anniversary months. Mm-hmm. And we had, a, we had a big poll on Twitter asking for, or we offered four first-person person shooter games. And it was quite quite nerve-wracking uh, to watch <laughs> the numbers go up and down and there was campaigning going on and we had actually we had with 381 votes that's insane people yeah that's, that's really cool that's insane. yeah the games we had were uh system shock and we had what's it called again uh descent and heretic here- yeah heretic and then we had blood yes and it- um it, it was crazy to watch. So at first, System Shock shot up to one hundred percent, and I think Blood was in the in the third position for most of the time. And Descent was was last, and then at one point Heretic took over System Shock, and then it, it fall, fell behind again. And in the end, Blood won. Yeah, and so, and Blood is getting a remake as well. So yeah, I, that, I think maybe that that influenced the um, outcome of the poll. Yeah, although I also read that System Shock is is also getting a. A remake and and Descent Two as well. I read so I don't know. All the games are getting remakes now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of them except yeah. Heretic, but it already got yeah. its remakes. Yeah. So so uh, in the end, uh, Blood won, and the numbers were very close. So until I don't know a few hours before the polls closed, they were all in the uh, twenty-five to twenty-eight percent range, and in the end, yeah. Blood won with only four percent uh, advantage uh, over System Shock. So yeah, <laughs> it's it's a really close call. But we have to go with the numbers, right? Yeah. And so someone, you, someone in the in the Twitter thread suggested we go by golf score <laughs> to pick the game. Uh, I'm I'm not against that. So maybe we will play Descent again instead. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll play all of these games eventually. Yeah, but, uh, of course. Yeah. For now, we should go with Blood in March. Yeah. So uh, so that's what's uh, going on in the near future. Uh, for now, you can register on dosgameclub.com and and. Join us there and talk about those games. And, and You should mention, for people who don't like typing so much, that we have a shorter URL now. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, I registered uh, dosgame.club the other day. It saves you at least three characters of typing. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can also chat with us on IRC. We have a, a channel called Dos Game Club on Afternet. And there's also an IRC chat box on the website. So, yeah, you can use that as well. Uh, we're also on Twitter, uh, where we're called DOS Game Club. So that's convenient and you can follow us there. Um, and finally, if you're listening to this in your uh, podcasting app, then please uh, rate and, and subscribe. So uh, that really helps to to get the word out to other people. And we also really enjoy reading the, the feedback. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, that's it yeah. for us, I think, for now. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Pleasure to be here. And see you all later. Yeah, thank you. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.